G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan. And I'm Laura. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our uh, live weekly Q&A. Tonight, we are fortunate enough to be speaking with multiple golden guitar winner, singer, songwriter, horse and dog man, Tom Curtin from the Catherine Outback Experience. Tom will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus, high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Evening, Tom. How are you going? Oh, good day, guys. How are you going there? Good, good. Good, thanks by yourself. Yeah, great, thanks. Really good. Well, fantastic. Wait, do you want to um, start off by telling us a bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do? Yeah, so I sort of grew up on a uh, beef cattle farm, peanut farm over near Kingaroy in Queensland, about three hours northwest of Brizzy. And I uh, grew up there with four other brothers. And, yeah, ever since I was a little kid, I'd sort of... Um, Always mucked around a few dogs, a few horses. Uh, we only had blue healers back then, and Dad used them in the cattle yards and things. And, um, yeah, I suppose I've always wanted to head to the Northern Territory. And so I'd seen it on the TV. I really wanted to get up there. And eventually uh, did high school and uh, did a stint at uh, Gatton College there, three-year degree in beef cattle and genetics. And after that, I finally got up to... Mount Sanford Station, which is about 900 k's south of Darwin, and just went straight into the stock camp, mustering cattle there, um, and then went out horse breaking. Uh, I was based at the station there for a few years and then went out full-time for about 10 years all around the Northern Territory, contract horse breaking, and from cattle station to cattle station, and eventually set up a little um, place just 5 k's out of Catherine in the Northern Territory there, um, yeah, training and breaking in horses. Got a lot of cattle stations to send the horses in. And it was about 2011, I think, the live beef export ban crashed. Um, I had no horses to train. So um, while I was out on the cattle station, there was something out there that inspired me to write songs and learn the guitar. So another old fella gave me a guitar, showed me three chords, learned the guitar while I was out there. And um, so, yeah, about 2011, I thought, well, if I could see if I could um, start up a bit of an outback show at you know on this place and i had to sing four nights a week at the caravan parks around catherine and eventually yeah they said look give it a crack and no one came to the first show which felt pretty good but um, <laughs> persevering and honestly there was only one or two people would come to the shows and and the show was all about the training of the dogs training of horses and a mix of the country music as well and um yeah we sort of built it up to about yeah, 12 to 15 shows a week with the GAN train and bus companies coming through. And uh, we're there for about seven months of the year. And then the other five, we sort of take off around the country and travel the show with the dogs and horses and country music and um, go to regional areas, regional towns, as well as the big smoke and put on shows everywhere. Very cool. So how does a talented horse trainer and dog trainer end up a multiple golden guitar winner? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I'm not really that talented at all, to be honest. Yeah, it's, um, I suppose yeah, I love writing songs and, you know, if it wasn't for those fellas back in the stock camp uh, when I first began to write songs, um, they were probably pretty hard up for entertainment out there, you know. Um, and, yeah, they sort of really got behind me and told me to keep writing and singing and practising the guitar and, you know, um, I suppose I teamed up with 
a few fellas. Garth Porter, which is Lee Kernigan's producer back in the day. Um, I met him down at Tamworth. I, I somehow managed to win a singing contest up near Adelaide River near Darwin. That got me down to Tamworth where I met the Garth Porter. And, um, yeah, I've done, I suppose we did, I've just completed my fifth country music album with him, so it should be out in August, hopefully. But, yeah, just very grateful to be able to meet him. And um, he was on my wavelength, really, with the lyrics and the stories of the songs. And, yeah, another bloke, Luke O'Shea, was travelling around the country with his family. So I said, look, I've got this idea for a song. Um, let's sit down one Sunday afternoon while he came through Catherine, who wrote the song and, yeah, somehow managed to, um, yeah, win the Golden Guitars and we were both blown away and um, some hillbilly from Catherine, you know, is um, up with it, but, you know, we'll take it. It's great. And, and you mentioned there that like, a lot of your songs before came like from stock camps and whatnot. What, what's the inspiration for songs these days? Yeah, I suppose we travel around a lot for five months of the year. I think we're down in WA at the moment, um, Pinjarra, which is about an hour south of Perth. And I think so far we left uh, in October from Catherine. We've done about 35 shows so far. And every weekend we usually do two or three shows, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in, in air country regions. Um, and I suppose and when we're up north, you know, a lot of farmers and travellers come through Catherine, you know, and, and come and see our show there. And after the show, we're always got my ear to the ground for a line for a song, a saying or a good story. And I think these days, um, yeah, I'm always listening for a, a line to a song. So then when I'm in the truck or on a horse, it's uh, usually by myself and then this uh, melody comes into my head and I go back through my phone and I, where I've written down all these sayings. And I say, oh, this one could be um, a pretty cool song for this melody could be a great song you know, for this title. So yeah. we sort of mesh it in like that. So, yeah, it's, it's – and I love meeting all these people as well. There's so many people out there with great stories and, you know, I reckon the rest of the country should hear them. Wow, that's awesome. So you're an ambassador for Dolly's Dream. How did that come about? Yeah, well, I suppose we know the family, um, Tick and Kate Everett and their daughter Meg there uh, pretty well in Northern Territory. They used to um, – we still do a lot of camp drafts and things up there. And when their little daughter, Dolly, passed away, only 14 years age, took her own life after an online bout of bullying, I was down south here in WA touring at the time and I couldn't make the funeral. And I'd just seen, before she passed, she wrote the word, speak even if your voice shakes. And it really hit home to me. And I said, man, I should try and write a song um, about this. So... Yeah, I wrote the song, asked Sarah Stora to see if she'd like to come and sing on the song with us. Um, I think she's a tremendous person and um, great singer-songwriter. And, yeah, Garth Porter over in Sydney put up a lot of um, time and effort with the studio to get all the song up and running. And, yeah, I just thought if we could try to help out in some way and raise awareness with bullying, uh, particularly in schools. And as we travel around, we drop in these days um, a lot of schools as we travel through i go and sing three or four songs talk a bit about bullying and um, looking out for their mates and things like that and um yeah it's just our way of helping out we've got these blue shirts uh with the dolly's dream logo on them they're on our website ten dollars for every shirt goes to dolly's dream and i think so far we've nearly raised about 30 grand just from um, people buying the shirts you know so it's a big thank oh. you to all those people out there and, and raising more awareness 
Mate, that's a great cause. Very admirable. And uh, there you go, guys. Jump on the Dolly Dreams shirts and uh, $10 from every shirt goes uh, back to the foundation. Mate, you've mentioned, just before we get into the dogs, you've mentioned about meeting a whole stack of people, but the most important person uh, in your life, the mother of your kids, bit of a story behind meeting her, mate. Oh, um, what's a bit of your stuff yeah. lately? You just want to touch on that quickly for us? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was over here um, a few years back and I was training horses over the wet season, got in a really tight spot and I had to hitchhike for the first time in my life. It was pretty daunting. I had a clothes bag over one shoulder and a saddlebag over the other heading down the southwest highway. And, um, yeah, after about four hours, this old guy came along in an old farm ute and offered me a lift back to his farm. And, yeah, initially I thought it was something out of that movie, Wolf Creek, you know. Turned <laughs> <laughs> out all right. And um, and later that night his, this girl rocked up from the city of Perth all done up in her office gear and it turned out to be his daughter, Annabelle. So she started stalking me pretty uh, full on. <laughs> but, no, it was, uh, that's honestly how we met. And, um, and my plane didn't fly out till um, the next Tuesday. So I had about five days and they will go into a camp draft. So I said, oh, do you mind if I just tag along? I'll warm up your horses for you and feed your horses if I can just fill in a few days. So, yeah, I got to know Annabelle and, um, yeah, we kept in touch for about 12 months and eventually convinced her to come to Catherine. And, um, yeah, we've since got married up there on the back lawn. And, yeah, I heard that her father, Lee, who's a champion bloke, but I still pay him out. But I heard that um, he would have preferred Annabelle to marry a doctor, a lawyer or an engineer. <laughs> so... Kind of a speaker wrote a song called The Hitchhiker. And um yeah, but he's a he's a great bloke and uh, and this is his house now, so it's pretty pretty cool <laughs> Yeah. Mate, that, that's a pretty cool story to tell. Not many people could tell that one. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, pretty lucky. Cool, mate. So um when starting out with dogs, horses, was there someone that inspired you? Yeah, I suppose I grew up at um, a little town or just outside between Dolby and Kingaroy and um, a fellow there, Rick Greenup, um, is in the Santa. Rick and Alice Greenup, they're stone's throw away. They had really good Border Collie dogs. Um, Mark Buttsworth was up the road as well. And Gary Barber was um, another fellow that had good Collie dogs. And um, I you know, often do a bit of mustering for them. And as a kid, I could see how affected these border collies or any dog really um, were. And there's also another old guy called Hurley Toomey, which I also did a bit of horsework with and as a kid, about a 10 year old kid. And um, yeah, he had one dog in a pen, old chook pen with all tin around it. And he wouldn't let anyone, he was about 85 and I uh, wouldn't let anyone watch the dog or pat the dog or, you know, it was just a phenomenal thing. and. I'd asked him, I kept on hounding him to see this dog and what it could do. And one day we're there and um, eventually he gave in to me and I was there for two weeks breaking in a horse, learning how to break in a horse. And he said, right, I come over here. And he had this um, six heifers. They're about 600 metres down a paddock. And he said, so this dog, it looked like a dingo, but it wasn't. He assured me it wasn't a dingo, but he reckons this dog will go down the back of these um, paddock here and six Heifers have got an ear tag and six heifers don't have an ear tag. So I'm going to ask this dog to go down and get the ones with the ear tag. And so he went to the dog, hey, mate, um, Max, we go down the back and get the ones with the ear tag, ear tag. This dog went back, brought the ones up with the ear tag. I said, that's cool, mate, but 
um, how do I know the other three don't have ear tags? They've probably all got ear tags. And he said, no worries. So he pushed them back down. Then he said, hey, mate, I want you to go back down and get the ones with the no ear tags. And he put these arms on, no ear tags. This dog went down there, sifted through them, drafted them off and brought the cows back with no ear tags. And I said, how the heck did you teach him to do that? I said, oh, if you're around dogs long enough, you'll work it out. But I've got no idea. <laughs> That's killed me. I was going to say, how do I try that? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I bet. He said, yeah, you've been, you hang around them long enough, you'll work it out. But um, I'm still whacking the brains. Maybe you need another 10 years, mate. Maybe a little bit longer. And the rest, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so tell us, mate, how, how are you using um, dogs day-to-day -day now? Yeah, well, I suppose I use them in my shows on the road and in Catherine. Um, at the moment, I've got about 12 dogs. And when I started out, um, I got a lot of free dogs and people didn't want or get along with. So, And I've always got them, really. I just felt sorry for them, so I trained them up, built up their confidence and... Um, and a lot were border collies. There are a few kelpies in there, and then I'd sell them on once I got them going. I'd, I'd sell them a lot all over the place. Uh, these days, in the show, I've got three goats, so I need sort of softer dogs. And yeah, so I've probably got a mixture of. I've got a few kelpies now because a lot of mates rubbed me about not having kelpies, so I said, "All oh, right, I'll get a few kelpies." So it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, in the show, we use a few older dogs, and then we've got the middle ranks coming through then we chuck out a couple of pups and the show is not all about having schmicko dogs it's all about the training the psychology behind it um, how we treat our dogs in a nice safe kind manner so that um, a lot of people in the city can see that um, we're really um, you know we're proud of our dogs we need the best out of them and then they get the dogs are on display everyone's got a phone these days so even under pressure sometimes you work and go to the young one or jump out and try to round up the goats and you know, I just roll with it. So it's all about, you know, keeping you cool and, and having a bit of funness still there with it that people can see that um, the dogs, you know, they're lovely to be around, but they've also got a job to do and they're so effective out here on the land. Absolutely. Question here from Juz. Why Border Collies versus Kelpies? Um, I suppose... The um, I've just been given a lot more collies than I have Kelbys over the years. And also I have found that the um, for me, because I've got to be able to sit 10 or 12 dogs that, at once and put them in an area and, and move the goats around just by asking one or two dogs to move left to right or back back. Um, and so I've just found it a little bit harder with the Kelpies. Um, to work in a bit more of a team environment so that um, what I've found is because the, the Kelpies are so smart and they can read play, you know, so much more, um, probably not compared to the Collie, but they can read it in advance of what's going to happen. And they go, mate, we're going, Tom, not waiting for you to move old Jack over here to block him. I can see that goat or the cows going. I should be around there to block it already, you know. So, and then I've got to control... Uh, the kelpie just mate just have a bit of patience i'm going to move jack in a minute and get him around in the in the right spot but um i suppose now i've got four or five young kelpies coming through the ranks and um yeah it's going to be uh very interesting getting them there but i love them i've got a wide cast and 
black female Kelpie and um, and she's brilliant, you know. So, and it's a, the thing about it is I get in trouble for picking up dogs, but because we travel so much um, during the, the wet season, I've got my ear out all the time at show to show who's got good dogs, mate, who? And then I try to catch up with them at the end of the show and I go see their dogs and often get a pup here and then we'll try out the pups and see what they're doing and I'm always trying to learn because in Catherine we're so isolated. It's um, it's lucky these days we've got the internet and we can look up breeding and things like that. I'm always on YouTube, horses and dogs, um, Googling how to train and different ideas and things like that. I'm sort of a bit of a nutter like that, but I love it. But, um, yeah, so hopefully down the track you'll see a great mixture of dogs. Uh, question here from Chris Egan. Is there a specific line of dog you found that suits what you do and your lifestyle more than others? Um, not particularly uh, a line. Like I've tried um, and I'm still trying a lot. I've, um, I love Peter Brown's Serrano Border Collies. I've got a couple of them. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm experimenting with a few of that, that line. There was also, um, yeah, a good mate, Trevor Turner um, from Dolby. Um, he was just down the road. We used to do a lot of mustering together um, back in the day before I moved up to the Catherine full-time and that we used to have real hard-biting collies because we had to get all these scrub cattle out of the way, out of the bush, otherwise we wouldn't get paid. But, um, but Trevor, um, I don't know if anyone knows this, but he had... Um, like 3,000 budgies. He was like really into breeding. I went to it. It was amazing. It had a like a big shed and it was probably like um, eight metres long and um, he won't like me telling this, but it was amazing. <laughs> went in, there's like 3,000, all these different birds flying around. And I said, how, what's the go here? He said, oh, no, these birds are worth a lot of money and, and he just points to one bird over here and that one, yeah. Uh, its partner is over here. That's Jill there, and so I'm going to breed those two. And he just knew everything about breeding. And then I think I paid him out a fair bit about the bird smuggler and budgie smuggler and stuff. Like that. <laughs> I think he sold his budgies and he got into all these border collies. So now he's really loves the, the breeding of that. So I often ring him. Say, what do you reckon about breeding and all this stuff? And so it's, um, but he's not the only bloke. There's a lot of people that I ring up and and I just quiz them about breeding and dogs and. And things like that and that's why you know i love what you guys are doing because it's um it should be more of it you know what do you believe makes a good work dog i think they've got to have the the work ethic and the try there um yeah and i suppose yeah they've got to be definitely definitely keen but they've also got to have a trainable mind for me i need to have them I've had some really good dogs, but they didn't really want to work in a team. And so, you know, I've had in the show in Catherine, I think I've got like 20 drums. And so I teach the drum, the dogs to jump on a drum, fill it full of water so it doesn't fall over. <clears throat> and so, you know, four o'clock in the morning, I'm out there, I've run the dogs, they've all got their own drum. Um, and then I'll be training a horse. I pull up on the horse and give it a break and to call out a dog. And, you know, so I'm training the dogs as we go. But... Some dogs are phenomenal on livestock, but they just can't work as a team. And, um, yeah, so then I I suppose for me they've got to have the try and the trainability and be that team member, you know, to be able to sit and be patient. And, um, but, and I normally keep them 
two, two and a half years, you know, to see eventually some will get out of it and they'll come really good. But others, I can just see that, you know, they'd be better off working in another mob somewhere, you know, working wieners or something like that. So it's great. So what style or type of dog are you attracted to? Um, I've got sort of two types. I've got, I've bred um, some wide calves and collies with plenty of bite. So I need them. I've always been working cattle. So um, I've bred this line to be a really wide casting, you know, to cover a mob. But then if some cow and calf pulls or a big bullet comes out, they've got to be able to bite the nose of the front foot. So I've just got a couple of females now and um, that are that sort of line. But I've, because I don't suit my show, it's very heartbreaking, but I've given them to another mate of mine and he's working them on a station up there. Um, we've got plenty of work for them, so we'll keep that line going. But now with my show, I've got to, um, I'm in the limelight a lot, so I can't have anything pulling down a, a goat or a duck or anything like that. So mine are still wide casting. Um, dogs are a lot softer. Um, but I've still got in there, I've got, some dogs are very mechanical that have got no herding at all, but I've just trained them to get out and stay out and I've put a lot of manoeuvres on them, a lot of commands on them, so they look very soft. But if you let them go naturally, they just come in, be very narrow and close to the mob. And, yeah, I've just had to learn to keep, because a lot of the dogs were free, still got not much money, but I had to turn every dog into something that um, would look good, you know, um, in the public eye. And has that changed a lot from where you began, like f from what you, what the style of dog you like, just for having so many different types? Yeah, totally. I was, yeah. All I, I knew really nothing about um, the casting or the herding. All I needed to do is get a dog to go straight to the lead and bite whatever's there on the nose to, to yeah. stop them running away so they wouldn't jump at the neighbor's fence they wouldn't take off and split the mob get the whole mob together and bring them back to us and um, a lot of these were just clean skin cattle and bulls and pretty feral cattle um, but these days yeah there's a there's a place for those sort of dogs but there's also a place i feel for the wider casting dogs that can work off the mob and keep the mob settled even walking along um, just like people you know our ringers out there on the wing so it's um i'm still learning all the time and, and i love it and i just see um you know we're educating um also other people that haven't got dogs or living in the cities that never get to experience life on the land and how to move livestock um it's you know become a bit of a welfare issue as well so if yeah. um, the more people find out about this and discover that dogs aren't running them everywhere they're sort of walking along and more effective many it's a lot calm and um you know for your livestock to keep them not pressured out what do you think wows people more your um your ability with a horse or what you get a horse to do or when you start flicking dogs around um yeah i don't know i like dogs myself yeah. <laughs> i still love horses but um often because i found that um and a lot of people said, Tom, no one's going to come and pay money to see you jumping dogs on drums. You know, they said, no, you've got rocks in your head. And when I was getting 
no one turned up to my shows. The first time I did it, no one turned up to the shows for about a month. And then one or two people came to Catherine and um, I just did the whole hour and a half show for them. And, you know, what are you doing, mate? Just give up. It's never going to work. But I just had a gut feeling that I loved it and it was interesting. And if I could make it interesting, you know, it would create um, more. So those one or two people went away and kept talking and, you know, we're lucky enough now to, to travel around and <clears throat> we're getting big crowds to our shows, which is awesome. But I just felt that someone that comes along might not be into horses. The husband might hate horses or not be even remotely interested. Uh, yeah. He might even like music, you know, because I sing a few songs. But um, I said, if I can make it kind of specky and show all these personalities of the different dogs, hopefully we'll get a little flicker of um, excitement out of the dogs. And usually the dogs is um, one that wins them over. You know, you get a few older dogs working really well, but then, yeah, I just let off a young one that's got no idea. And, um, yeah, people love it because it's got not much recall of one thing, but I can show how we recover from each situation usually and um, we just go with the flow and every show is a bit different because we're using different young dogs and, you know, we're not sort of making a big deal out of it, you know. So it's um, usually that old fella is, uh, comes around working with dogs, so I think they're the good thing. Absolutely. Got a question here from Amanda Dunbar. Are you coming to Sydney anytime soon? Yeah, I think we're um, planning an East Coast tour end of the year. So we'll head back up to Catherine uh, probably for <clears throat> five months till um, end of September. And then we'll head hopefully across to Cairns, down the coast. And then, yeah, we'll come around Sydney and uh, Victoria and, yeah, got weave all through there. So we've, um, we're supposed to do it this year, but because of COVID and um, a few things, we thought it was safer to go on WA to um, keep trying to keep the bank off our backs, you know, so um, get a bit of money in. So we'll see how we go when we get back over that way. I'd love to do it. Well, definitely let us know when you are and we'll have to share it around. Give it a give it a plug for you, mate. I'm sure uh, your books will be full before you even get in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We'll keep bluffing them. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so who were some of the influential dogs to get you to where you are today and what made them special to you? Yeah, influential dogs. I, the first dog um, I had was just a blue healer, Kelpie, because the old man had one. And then, um, and he was a pretty good dog, but he just obviously didn't have much herding. And um, I got a Kelpie pup that I did a bit of trialling with and uh, called Rusty, off a local bloke around Cumbia there. <clears throat> and he was unreal. He was just a very great herding dog. And that's the one we first started learning. Uh, probably when I was about 10 or 12. and um, But then I started to train the Blue Healer to cast like the Kelpie. So, yes. yeah, so he was already two years old, so it's pretty hard. But eventually I got him to cast like because the problem I had was the Kelpie I was really good at casting and, and it would nip on the nose if he had to. But because the cows are getting pretty quiet, he couldn't push them. I was trying to send him left and right. He wouldn't be able to move them. So the Blue Healer had a lot of... Uh, a bit of nip in the heels, so I taught him to cast with the Kelpie and he got around the back and he helped them move the heels so they um, kept on coming towards me. So, yeah, they were, they were probably the two and, um, yeah, I probably just saw a lot of other dogs around the traps that really inspired me to try to keep putting time into mine. Awesome. Got a couple of questions here. Uh, Laurel, grabbing the one here. Uh, Jamie Bowski has asked, 
What are some dog training or working life lessons you'd wish you had learned sooner? That's a good one. <clears throat> I probably, you probably should have um, had my time again. I would have done a lot more dog schools with a lot of different people, you know, because I only did one or two um, coming through school and things like that, and the rest of it I sort of just picked up. And so... I suppose the same with horses. If you if you had gone to a really good horse trainer, you know, as a kid, or it would have fast tracked a lot of um, things, I believe, and a lot of bad habits too. So, yeah, I think if, um, yeah, I wasn't much into computers or things like that either. So, yeah, I just think if um, the more time you put into your dogs, you know, um, the more you're going to get out of them. I believe so it's um yeah you've got to be affectionate but you also got to be firm with them but not too firm you know it's sort of um I don't even raise a hand I just sort of growl at the dogs if they're um misbehaving but because a lot of the dogs I get are so timid because I get them for free um I just growl the individual dog's name that's in trouble so I've got 10 or 15 dogs and one's misbehaving I growl that dog name so all the other dogs know who's in trouble because if you just growl, you know, then everyone thinks they're in trouble and, you know, it really upsets them. So that's really worked for me. I tried to my kid once, but he kind of <laughs> might laugh at me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, question here from Karen Higgins. Uh, how much interaction do the dogs have with the horses in your show? And what or how much interaction um, is this? Is this? Yeah, in the show, um, we started, one bloke said, Tom, you should actually give your dogs a bit of a horse ride. <clears throat> and at first I thought it was a bit of a gimmick, you know. Yeah. But then what we said, okay, let's do it. So we put a pad underneath the rug so the, um, the dog could sit on the saddle pad, wouldn't hurt the horse. And we found that all these timid dogs, I'd lead the horse around and rub the dog, and these dogs just absolutely loved it, you know. <laughs> so what we found, their confidence just went through the roof. It was absolutely bizarre. Like, um, and now, um, you know, we lead <clears throat> three horses around. We'll have them all lined up. We've got three dogs um, on their backs walking around and they're sort of poking tongues at all the other dogs around the edge of the arena. Um, but it is really weird. We, we do that a lot, but it actually does really boost their confidence. And then um, when they start working livestock again, they're not so timid. They get their confidence is up and we're praising the heck out of the dog. Um, so that's a big thing. We also, um, I've just started working the goats. So I'm on a horse or might have a few horses with me and uh, I might have 10 dogs out there, but we're just telling each dog to move the goats underneath the horses, you know, just as an obstacle. So yes. the dogs realise that, yeah, they're allowed to chase or work the goats, but it takes the focus off the horse so that they never learn really to chase horses. That's not what it's about. It's about the goats. So it's a really cool thing. We've been developing like that. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I'm fine with Rick Freeman has asked, what is the worst mistake you've made with your dogs or a dog and what's the best thing you've worked out in training dogs? <clears throat> the worst mistake I've probably made was in the early days I was doing a show and I had about five dogs behind me and... Um, there was a big, arrogant sort of box-head blue healer 
and I was doing the show and I only had about four people watching the show, you know, and I didn't know, but this dog behind me jumped off its drum and went right around the back and then came in. And as I was talking about dogs and training, I looked up and this dog was taking a leak in an old lady's handbag. (laughs) Oh, my God, do I yell out now to get up the dog and then I'll be in trouble as well or... Do I uh, just let it go? You know, <laughs> he didn't notice. Um, he got out of there, and then I called him back and got him back on the drum here. And I'm like, God, so what do I do here? And then, you know, it's one of those things where um, I saw her walking out later with the bag on her shoulder, and she's pulling out her car keys, and you know, she couldn't work out what was going on, and. Um, <laughs> but I felt bad, so I went over and we sorted it out. But that's one of the worst things. <clears throat> so. Um, yeah, so these days I, I do go after a lot of female dogs um, for that reason. I love genetics and breeding and things like that. And sorry, what was the other part of the question? The best thing um, that you've worked out in training dogs. Um, I think the best thing, like I don't really use treats um, and I think the best thing is I, I use the word good. So if a dog, say Trev, Trev back or Trev sit, and then when he sits, I say good. And that's like giving that dog <clears throat> 10, 15, 50 metres away a, um, a high five when I say the word good. And so when that dog's with me, Trev, good dog, good. I rub the heck out of his ears, rub his back massage, <clears throat> and he knows that that Trev good is the good stuff. And so... Um, you don't really need treats at all. I'd go broke. So, but I really put the dogs close to me. Any dog is doing something good, I just rub them, tell them their name, and tell them they're good. And then when they're right out doing something right, Trev, good, and bang. And, and I do the same to the horse as well because I've been experimenting. The horses can actually um, they can hear your your words as well, I believe. And um, I'm calling out horses now one by one just by their name and tell them to lie down and good when they do that as well. So I just find the word good, it's a, it's a very positive thing, emotion and connects to like a, probably like a clicker <clears throat> training or giving a, the dog a treat at, right at that moment, it does the right thing. I just say the word good and um, that saves so much headache. Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Motley is um, asked, by being up on the horse, do you think it's helping the timid dogs by getting them up higher, more at human eye level to help them be more confident? Yeah, definitely. Definitely because um, when I'm on a horse and I've got um, – I normally can ride around with four horses beside me just at liberty and I get uh, four dogs on their backs and I just walk them in a big square so they don't have to run much. And they're always looking at me for, you know, approval and things like that. And, again, I'm just telling them, good dog, it's fun up here <clears throat> and really praise them up there. They're on the same level, so they really feel important, you know. Same as you put a kid up on the horse next to you, the same sort of thing. They sort of feel really important and empowered. So, yeah, I just believe the same sort of tactic works and it really bring, brings up the confidence. Uh, um, yeah, I, I was actually going to ask that question. I was thinking that question before, so I'm glad Dave asked that. Um, just prepping them up a bit and perking them up. And, uh, good work, Dave. Good question. Um, 
Mate, um, you mentioned that you get given a lot of um, dogs, but do you breed many of your own pups? And, and if so, what do you like about breeding? Yeah, I suppose um, get given a fair few. And for the show up there in Catherine, <clears throat> I love breeding because uh, a lot of kids come through and, and even elderly people, um, you know, everyone really loves seeing a little pup and picking it up and yeah. giving it a cuddle. So that's great. And I also um, sell a lot of pups to, um, you know, farmers, dog trainers all over the country. But um, I love seeing um, how they work out as well. So I'm always following up on people. How's that dog going? And, um, you know, because and I try to write down who I've sold the pup to and their genetics. And so then I can keep a track on if that really worked or if that was the dog they were after. And, you know, even now we're breeding down here. So I just bred another um, Serrano bitch actually to a trialer down the road. Um, saw his dogs work here the other day and um, yeah, I said, oh, do you mind? Let's do a deal. And so it's, um, you know, always just trying different things to try to, um, you know, get a, improve the breeding and improve the performance down the track. So what are you looking for or thinking about before you do a joining? I just suppose I sort of take into consideration what the females like. So at the moment I've I've just got two males left and um, the rest are sort of females and I just want to see how soft the female is, um, how wide a casting it is and how trainable it is, how much it works into a team and then I suppose I want to see the, the father or the sire and I want to see him work and how he goes about his work, whether he's a wide caster or more of a direct line, how he carries his tail, his ears, how friendly he is, how, you know, because I've got to have them friendly as well as, um, <clears throat> you know, as with that strong work ethic, <clears throat> how tough the, the male dog is and where does he, does he bite the heel or nose or um, front foot or does he keep pretty soft as well? So it's, um, I suppose, a lot of things um, I consider about because you're going to, um, put so much time and effort into, well, I do anyway, the pups, and you really want them growing up and um, really being part of the team. And I think um, I still love getting other people's dogs and, and training them on the side, but um, <clears throat> often I know they're not going to be a long-term project. <coughs> Sorry, but um, because, yeah, I just haven't brought them up through the ranks how I like to get them all to come through they haven't had the start you'd normally give one of your own pups yeah yeah and they've they've got a lot away with a lot which is not their fault but um and i can still mold a lot of dogs into i've still got a few now that um i got when they were 12 months or two years old i've molded into my system so they all get along and there's no fighting and um you know they they're friendly dogs and things like that and i think that also comes out with um you know, I've got to be the pack leader and make sure they understand where they fit in the hierarchy because if I, um, I used to have a lot more male dogs and if I said to the, one of the staff, you just run the dogs for us, often they'd have a bit of a blue because the dogs would know straight away that Tom's not there. Okay, yeah. let's just adjust all this. And often that's when they try something out is um, when I wasn't there. So, um, yeah. It's, uh, it's just an interesting thing and I've, I've really told them 
my other staff now to really growl at the dogs who, you know, even if you're a little bit out of line, yeah. they've got to hear you growl so they still know that you're in charge. Otherwise, too nice and lardy da, I'll just walk straight to the top of you. Absolutely, mate. And is there any particular trait you'd like to put into your own line? Um, I just, I love the, um, I love the presence of a good dog that can, and can move, uh, and I suppose the style, I like a bit of style, whereas um, really got to be out of that, you can see that dog thinking, you know, he's thinking of what the stock are doing. Um, so he's got a, a sort of a calm mind and he can really dominate um, a mob of sheep or, or um, wieners, for instance, just by his presence, you know, so he can walk around and he's, <clears throat> the way he carries himself and his tail and eye contact, it's just amazing. So I suppose I'm looking for, I need that style of the dog. Um, I love them when they naturally just sit and just have a bit more patience, uh, but then also to get up and to stalk in and put the pressure on. They don't have to bite. They can just put the pressure on and then wait for those livestock to move out of the way. Um, not all day, but, you know, when you say push up, they've got enough guts to get in there and, and keep going to um, get the job done, you know. So it's, yeah, I'm sort of, um, I suppose I love all this stuff because it's, um, it's it's quite interesting and it's challenging to get a young dog and you want to put enough training into the young dog, you know, out of good genetics, but not overdo it, not over bake it to take his personality out. You know, so it's a sort of a fine line. It's a it's a great um, mix to try to get that combination going. How do you go about picking a pup for yourself? Yeah, well. Um, I got one the other day. My wife doesn't know yet, but uh, <laughs> surprise! <laughs> Same one down here. So um, yeah, but I just saw I saw the parents work. The mother was a wide casting um, dog on some sheep, and the father was still sort of a wide caster, but he had a fair bit of presence about him. <clears throat> um, I do look at the roof of the mouth of a pup. I like to have a bit of a bl black pigment in the roof of the mouth. Um, and I do squeeze between the webbing and between the toes to see their level of toughness. I yeah. find it, it's um, a good thing. But And I don't really want um, an over, you know, excitable pup jumping all over me, but I don't really want the timid one up the back. I sort of want the one, you know, you can sort of see one that one in the middle. middle. Yeah. yeah, the one in the middle ground sort of thinking taking it, observing, but he's also thinking before he makes his decision. So um, for me, I try to get those dogs because, yeah, I think from my experience, and I'm still learning, but from my experience down the track, they're the ones that usually are thinking a bit more and observing before you know, <clears throat> try to um, make their point, you know. Mate, I'm sure at your shows you have a heap of people asking about pups. And dogs, what advice would you give to someone wanting to purchase their first dog or, or pup? Yeah, I think um, I think you got to have a lot of fun with it, a lot of fun with um, pups, and obviously you got to treat them right and, and feed them right with all the correct health and hygiene and things like that. Uh, I think tying up's a really good thing. I think pups are um, 
we've got a lot of pens here, so we put them in pens. Um, but I still, I think just for manners, it's a great thing just to tie up your pup in the shade for a bit, <clears throat> even next to an older dog, so you can look at the older dog and see, oh, we're actually supposed to sit down and just chill. And they, yeah. they learn a lot by watching. You know, it's like a kid sitting at the table seeing his older brother or sister eating with a fork. They sort of put their fingers down and pick up the fork and try to, you know, copy that. So I use that a lot with dogs and horses and it's amazing what you can get out of that. But, yeah, I think as long as, um, yeah, and depending on what you want, whether you're after like a stronger dog for um, working cattle or um, or a softer dog working sheep or ducks, it's... Um, yeah, although some dogs, you know, it's um, I've got one at the moment um, that can, it's really hard on cattle if they need to be, but then they can come across and work ducks without fighting, you know, so it's um, it's a great concept there. But yeah, Smart. Up, yeah, yeah, and that's, I suppose, trying to breed the smartness into them. So, but yeah, it's a lot of, I think the tying up for a pup is just a, a crucial thing and but not be too hard on the pup too early. You've got to sort of let it, I found I used to be a lot stricter on them, but these days I sort of back off, let them be a pup or a kid, let them make mistakes. The other dogs have been too rowdy when I run them. They'll pull them into line anyway. Yeah. So um, I just sort of go with the flow and then eventually pick them up and, and start getting to sit and stay on them, you know. Mate, I'm a massive believer in tying them up as well. I believe it teaches them manners. And the other day I actually tied one up for barking. So when they bark, they get tied underneath my bedroom window. Yeah, yeah, I had one that worked its way right around the pole. And I come out 10 minutes later and it worked the other way. And I'm like, well, maybe not as dumb as I thought you were. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now that's feel like some pups, um, yeah, if I get them and I sometimes have them in the box beside my bed. And if the dogs or the pups going to bark or whine, I can just reach down and um, grab its cheek a little and um, growl at it, just like the mother would, you know. And then, um, you know, you might have to do that eight, ten times a night, but then for the first two nights if you wanted to. And the, but then all you've got to do is growl at them. They go, oh, heck, no. So if they're going to chase a chook or something, you can growl at them and then they realise, oh, that's the wrong thing to do. So, um, yeah, and then if it's a really excitable pup, I just put it in with a, an older dog that hasn't got much patience, you know, and it'll that's jump so over weird. the other. Oh, yeah, it'll sort it out, same thing. So it's the same sort of – they've got to learn respect, I believe. So – and have those manners so that they, um, yeah, they can eat in a pack and um, be respectful for us and also the other team members. How do you go about starting a pup? Age, time, what do you put them on stock-wise or, yeah? Yeah, I probably put pups um, sometimes 10 weeks old or eight weeks. I'd even... Um, put them in a pen next to some ducks or some goats up there in Catherine and we've got some mesh pens we just put them in there and they play a bit and then they um after a while they start focusing in on them and, and watching them and i probably put them on a on ducks first with an older older dog and they might just play with the older dog you know for a while and then i just have a drum so i just sit the older dog up on a drum um so then just to get out of the way and then see if the pup's going to work a bit but I'd only do it for like 30 seconds to a minute max. And then as soon as that dog, the little pup, shows even an inkling um, at looking at something, I'd just grow over, pick it up and quit it. And then 
each day usually that just gets more intensified so they become keener and keener and um but yeah even you know 12 month old dog i probably wouldn't even i'd only work it maybe two minutes max at a time um because i just i just and i might be totally wrong but for me that works um because i was never really good at maths you know at school uh, fractions and so I just think that it's pretty intense. They're working a dog on the go. He doesn't know if it's going to charge him or what's going on. It's excitable, but there's a lot of um, stuff running through his head, you know. And so I thought, well, we just quit him. Short, quick lessons. It just builds up his confidence and um, and the intensity, and then gradually he'll just get keener and keener and keener. And um, <clears throat> it seems to work for me, you know. If I do too much of it, it's like on a horse, your ears go out, you zone out, it's too much in the lesson and um, yeah, you don't pick, don't absorb it, it's not fun. So yeah, I keep them pretty short lessons. Uh, you're onto something there, mate. I've, <laughs> I've got a habit of, uh, I get a bit carried away when I get a new toy, so I'll start playing with it and I'm like, oh, shit, that two minutes is now 10 minutes. I, I better put this thing away before I get into yeah. trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do you can't get in trouble there, it's sort of, it's like um, talking. You got to actually pay attention for a bit, you know. Mate, earlier in the night you mentioned um, a little bit of trialing. So have, you've done a little bit of trialing, and what kind of trialing have you done? Yeah, I, early in the day, um, I did a bit of just three. Uh, I think just working dog cow trials you know um yeah. with that kelpie and i did a few there and but the frustrating thing was uh, and i loved it um but i had the kelpie and um we did a few there and he went pretty good and i'd love to get into more it's only that just um the time and things like that for me but um i really enjoyed it the only thing i was going to uni at the time as well and um i had to Pay rent, and so I had to work on weekends and things like that. So I couldn't get away. But um, yeah, I do love it. I do, um, you know, still want to get do some more, even with the sheep trials and things like that, just to um, give it a crack. And I love the, you know, the whole concept of um, getting your dog to drive the stock away from you and um, around the other side and work parallel with you and things like that. It's, it's just a great skill. It's a great art and you know and i suppose the people in the uh, some, some people in the crowds we go to they really understand uh, how much time goes into the dogs you know and they're still either sort of oblivious to how much time goes into it you know so it's yeah yeah i sort of just like trying to bridge the gap really with with the dogs and educate people as we go and i'm i'm no guru at all you know i'm sort of but I just love trying to teach people um, how people on the land look after their dogs, they treat them with good assets, and um, they're great mates. And so um, down the track for sure, if I can do more trial, and I'd yeah, sink my teeth into it. Have, have you had any gurus stand up in your shows, mate, and go, oh, mate, I'll show you how to train a dog? Um, probably not, but I've... I've like at shows, like we've had, um, yeah, a few 
few guns come along and I've been terrified, you know. I said, don't play <laughs> but, uh, but it's amazing. I think there was uh, Paul Rowe over in uh, yep. Emerald or Clermont somewhere. And after the next day, wait, Tom, come around and have a look at me dogs. And, and he gave us a, a, a couple of lessons on how he does stuff. And it's just, I think that the whole fraternity really is, it's um, people come to the show and, yeah, and even some horse people are there and you can see they're, I'm into body language, so I can see they're, they're crossing their arms and going, what an idiot, this guy, what's this school going to be about? But by the end of it, they sort of relax and they're chilled out and they're, they're still there having a yarn questions. And, and the whole thing is that it's, <clears throat> I'm not trying to proclaim I'm, I'm some sort of guru or anything like that. It's um, I'm just sort of a bit of a voice for the bush. And this is, so many people are training dogs like this. So many people are training horses like this. I'm just, um, you know, singing a few songs. I've worked out that uh, instead of riding 20 horses a day, I can try to put on some shows and have fun and, and enlighten people's lives as we travel around. And I'm all ears for anyone, any knowledge at all. So I'm always looking for people to, you know, have a yarn with and to learn on the job. And it's um, I'm just very grateful, really, that um, there's so many awesome people, awesome dog trainers out there that, um, you know, are willing to have a yarn and share knowledge because that's what it's all about, you know. It's um, improving our product at the end and um, for future generations. Absolutely. Definitely. Do you have a trial that you'd like to have a crack at? In, like one in particular? Um, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I'm not sure if are they still going. <clears throat> um, a couple of years ago, they were having a crack at all the Tamworth ones, you know, um, at the ALEC Centre and things like that. Did they get stopped yeah. or was that still? Yeah, so that one's not going ahead, but there's um, a couple of others um, similar with similar setups going ahead uh, now, yeah. like uh, um, cattle, um, outside work and yard work as well. So there's a few of those kicking yeah. off. Yeah, no, definitely. And so what I'm trying to do even, um, <clears throat> I'd love to get involved with that. And also it's like camp drafts at the moment. We've got a few camp drafts over here and <clears throat> I'd love to get back over to Warwick and have another go at the camp draft there and even now today, I said, oh, we should try to plan this next tour so we can go to, <laughs> you know. And, and, yeah, so I'm trying to line it up so that otherwise we just keep working, you know, and I haven't been to, yeah. you know, I went to a draft on the weekend. It was awesome to get out there and have a bit of a run and, um, and catch up with a few <clears throat> local mates around this area. So, yeah, definitely with the, the working dogs, I'd love to try to do the same thing and um, get amongst it, you know, have great fun. Oh, sweet. Mate, is there something that stood out with a dog um, and you've gone, geez, that, that's an achievement? Like what would you think is your best achievement that you've accomplished with a dog? Um, yeah, I suppose I think I had a, like I've had a really tough dog that, um, that I got pretty cheap and he's an amazing dog but he had a few issues and so all he wanted to do was come in on the stock all the time and t-bone the sheep or get hold of a cow or something so <clears throat> as a few years back so i put a muzzle on him to stop that but he keep coming in you know and he keep trying to um just get too close and crowd the stock and create havoc so <clears throat> i thought that um i could scare him with a plastic bag on a stick and wave that and try to keep him out and um, 
and then I thought I could use a um, um, a bottle full of rocks and rattle the bottle, water bottle full of rocks to scare him and keep him out. And that worked for a bit, and then and I thought, well, I could crack a stock whip, but then <clears throat> you know I don't really want him to be scared of whips because often in my show mm. I'm whirling whips around these really timid dogs. I make it fun, so I've got them running around me <coughs> while I'm cracking whips and I'm desensitising the dog. So they're having fun, they hear the whips and everything's cool. So I didn't want to bring a whip in to chastise the dog. So I just had to, um, I got him on a lead and um, I just taught the back up on him. So <clears throat> just with no livestock first, with a big long lead and say, Trev, back, back. And he had to go a couple of metres back, give him three seconds off for the reward uh, because he like he's like drinks 20 red bull before he comes to work <laughs> so i just had to three seconds off and then i do it again trev to me see it trev back back give him three seconds off and now in the show and because it was that bad that um even he started coming for me years ago he'd start running i'd have him going clockwise all of a sudden I have a brain snap he'd start running for me and trying to take my legs out so I thought, away from him, I'd stand on a blue 44-gallon drum full of water and I, I'd be traffic like that. No, you won't be able to get me. But sure enough, it was like George <laughs> leaping up at me and I was trying to jump out of the way on this drum while he, you know, and, yeah, I nearly had to just give him away to someone. But I thought, no, there's something special about this dog. <clears throat> and so, yeah, so now I've got him so that um, it's probably one of the best dogs I've trained, but he can... Uh, I've got the sit on him, I've got the back up on him, and it, the sit's great, and the back up, I just find, is the respect thing. Is mate, you're too close to me. Even if I send him, I cast him, sometimes he'll, he won't, he'll try to come into me. So when he kind of starts breaking that circle and coming towards me, I just sit him, and then I back him up, and I just tell the crowd, this is what I'm doing. That's his punishment for trying to come too close to me, back, back. And then when he goes that way, I say, you know, Trev away, and I use a nice tone of voice. So if he's coming back in, I say, Trev, and it sounds a bit weird, but it's amazing how much he picks up on the tone of your voice. Oh, right, that's naughty, yep, get out wide. And he goes, you know, so it's back up and the sit, and then you add the livestock, so now he can run around. You've got to keep watching him, but he hasn't done it, touch wood, for <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, till tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Good challenge. Ah, uh, they're the ones. They're the memorable ones, mate. They're the ones that make it worth it at the end of the day, right? I was gonna say you've mentioned yeah. he's had a couple of times tonight, so you obviously like him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I do like it. He's um poor fellow. He had a grass seed in his eye last year, and I tried to, but the vet said no, nah, it's got to come out. So he's only got one eye, but. He looks like he's still got three, you know, he's a psycho. <laughs> just, he just really tries to please. He's got a really big work ethic and, um, yeah, I just want to breed a few more like that. The, the trainable mind, not so aggressive, but... Um, aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Is there a message you'd like to get out into the working dog community? Um, I think for me... Like years ago when I first started, <clears throat> I had a fair few dogs and I was just um, yelling at them all the time, you know, and I lost my voice. And, um, yeah, so then I worked out there's no point yelling. Might as well just speak to them nicely. So even in my shows, you know, Trev back, back, good dog. And 
I tell him he's a good dog, good work, mate. So I, I try to teach them like their employees, the dog. Um, Trev, Trev up and Trev goes, jumps on his drum. Good dog, Trev, you know. And it's, um, I suppose a lot of people are already doing it, you know, that, um, because you can tell in the dog fraternity if they, um, the dog wants to be around their owner, you know, because they've got that loyalty and trust and you know, it shows up pretty um, quick if you don't have that. So or if you have been mistreating them. But, but the general public too is um, just how much we do look after the dogs, how much um, respect we put into them, the time we put into them. And I think, you know, it's a lot. It's probably um, at times you feel like, well, they should be doing this quicker or, um, oh, mate, down the road's got his dogs going quicker. We should be able to get hours like that. And sometimes it's better off just taking a deep breath, <clears throat> keep doing what you're doing, um, and it'll happen as long as you're consistent and you um, keep working away at it. And um, I just find, yeah, if, the, um, if you start shouting or throwing stuff, it's like, you know, oh, mate, with the cane in my maths class, I'd everyone just wants to yeah. you know, it's a, let's get the hell out of here. You know, so that's how I sort of relate it back to, um, yeah, working these guys. Okay. What does Tom Curtin do away from performing and training um, horses or dogs? What, what do you do for downtime, mate? Um, we train dogs and ride horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah like I, don't, I do love writing songs and, um, and working out, you know, melodies and things like that. But um, I have found that even when I'm on the road, um, I used to tour a lot uh, with bands and um, with the country music and with no animals at all. But um, I feel really sort of down in the dumps. And when I got home, I'd love training my dogs and the horses. And even now to recharge, I find myself just grabbing the dogs, going out. Um, and, you know, my wife here, Annabelle, <coughs> her family's um, got a fairly big place over here. And, um that's another story but he he the father uh lee um didn't want any dogs on the property at all you know and so i was always going man where can i work these dogs like we've got a few goats here but well he's got this paddock of wieners just out here there's like 400 wieners <laughs> here. you just see him and just go imagine if i sent this dog this way you'd be able to cast it that way and then you get to send another on this way and, and it's just unreal and then he brought a big mob of um, wieners and Mickey balls and things in from up north. And that night he said, oh, I couldn't get this mob of cattle in um, today. And my wife said, well, Dad, why don't you get Tom and his dogs? And he said, there'll be no way. He slammed his fist down on the dinner table. And no, no way, there'll be dogs on this property and all this stuff. And I kicked Annabelle under the table. What are you doing? Just back off, will you? And um, the next day he tried to run them in with um, a few horses and things and yeah, and anyway, he came up to me and said, "Oh, Tom, if if you want, he didn't look at me in the eye. He just sort of said, <laughs> if you want to have a go, go for it." I said, "Look, mate, I can have a go, but I'm not guaranteeing I can get any of these, okay?" And so I just took two dogs, and <clears throat> I it was about 500 meters, so I sent them back, and I had to do a lot of work, and eventually I sent another dog, and and eventually we got them all in, and I was hiding behind a round bale in the yard. Um, because I was sort of upwind and these cattle were still smelling the wind and they kept raking and things like that. But eventually we got him in the yard and um, he was, I don't know, but he was in a ute uh, about half a K down the side there. And he just said, look, I've never seen dogs work and I didn't believe this was possible. 
and I said, look, it's not just my dogs are any good. It's um, we had a bit of luck today, but a lot of people are doing this now <clears throat> um, to educate cattle and more effective solution than trying to chase your cows all around the paddock and um, and lose them. You know, he lost them a few times down the back, and um, you know, so now we yeah we've got free run Robbie's wieners, wieners and everything like that. So I love every morning this downtime shooting out in the paddock here and. Um, got to train a mob here and there and we can do whatever we want so it's um it's, it's awesome too from the show perspective that <clears throat> the dogs not only just work on a few goats that every chance i get i'm working big mobs of cattle on different properties and things like that um if i'm allowed but it's just great for their their um mental well-being i believe to get out and, and do what they love doing too yeah that's cool Mark Mangold has asked, when you sit back and look at your life and where it is at the moment, is there another path you think you could have enjoyed or wish you had have done? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, um, I know my brothers um, used to pay me. I got four other brothers, so I've been smashed all my life. You've never got <laughs> you, know, you can never get too cocky because they just bring you straight back down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always been out training horses and dogs, and they used to call me Jim Craig after we watched the <laughs> movie. And they used to pay me out all that. They still do call me Jim Craig. Um, yeah, but I just don't know. I've um, I've always, you know, I've always wanted to train horses, and um, and I was told I'd never make any money out of training horses, um, but. <clears throat> somehow i i did it full on for um yeah I, even now i'm still training horses as we go i've been very fortunate very lucky um and i suppose i think if you're passionate about something you know and you really like doing it i think you find a um you throw your heart and soul into it you know so yeah i think even as a kid <clears throat> on the wall we had this sign or a picture of two birds flying and it says they can because they think they can and uh, the two birds are flying there and every time things got tough at home I had to do homework or milk the cow or cut firewood um, my dad would say look um, it's not that bad mate put your mind to it just go do it get it done and uh, walk in and have a crack so <clears throat> I suppose that's been the philosophy all the time and it's been hard times like even now I hate even looking at my bank balance. There's <clears throat> still not much in there. I remember it got down to about 12 bucks after my uh, wedding, you know, and I'm just terrified looking at my, you know, um, because, yeah, I suppose I always love doing what you do. Um, I love doing what I do, and I'm, I've been very fortunate <coughs> to um, keep my head above water. And even travelling five years ago for the first tour, a bloke said, what, you're actually going to load up horses and dogs and your music gear and you're going to travel for five months <clears throat> and you think people are going to rock up to your shows as you travel around and do your singing and your he said have you actually thought this through and i said well don't know it might all go pear-shaped but i'm just willing to sort of have a crack and see what happens you know i'm fortunate to have a uh, an amazing wife annabelle with me that um has batman and uh, believed in me and um and she's um you know, ex-town planner so she's got amazing um you know background and planning i sort of fly by the seat of my pants but <laughs> great combination you know and if you've got someone else on your team rowing in the same direction um 
you know, just it really does help try to get where you're going. Well, Jim Craig, uh, Man from Snow River is my favourite movie. And uh, <laughs> if, there's, if there's one line in there that kind of I think sums up what we're saying there is, uh, I wouldn't swap all the sunlit planes for all the tea in China. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's, uh, there's some great lines in there. And I think, you know, it's, um, you know, it's an old movie and people might, you know, knock you or whatever. There's some cracker lines there and there's a great um, theme through it. So um gets the blood going. No, that's it. Mate, um, obviously, you know, Dog Talk's fairly new and yet you, you know, you're very new to it yourself. Mate, have you got any ideas of what we can do to um, get out to the community or what, what could we do to so people benefit from, you know, what, what we can offer? How do we reach yeah. more people and, and what information do you think we should be able to get getting out there? Yeah, I think... Um... <clears throat> I think this is a great idea, getting, um, not having me on, but anyone on there talking about dogs, you know. Uh, probably people would turn off watching me talk, but... Um, well, you're going to write, mate. You're going to there. All right. But I think uh, even some demos, maybe just like a, a one minute or one... I'm not, you might even be doing this because I'm very new to all this stuff, but no. I think if um, someone sees a demo of a one minute... Um, demo of someone with a pup or someone working or someone casting a dog, um, just a little visual thing. Could be a sponsored ad on, you know, all this. Um, I'm still getting my head around it, but I'm trying to um, listen, you know, all the time on. Um... Sorry, mate, I just looked at my laptop and it's just starting to. I hear you say. But yeah, with all the marketing. Um, things like that people these days are right into visual concepts yep. and as well so possibly yeah um sponsored ads i find are really good and yeah more sponsors obviously but obviously that they're, they're a bit hard to get but i think if um people can see that you're um it's really it's a it's a tremendous thing because it's about the people, how they treat their dogs, and even with that um, writing on the back of the um, ABC Muster Dogs program, you know, that's extremely popular. And um, I think there's an absolute avenue there for um, you guys to really crank it and really reach a, a wider audience for sure. On. Yeah. On yeah. that note, who would who do you suggest is sitting down and chatting with on one of these? Um, yeah, I don't know. There's so many people. There's so many people. I um, just to go through, but um, and I'm not. I haven't even had time to go through your. I've just worked out today that I can um, go through. <laughs> is it Spotify? Yes. Because when I'm training the horses, I've got earbuds in. I can train and listen to music and stuff. But now I can go back through and have a listen to. Who said men can't multitask? <laughs> I think that's what it's all about. I hate doing just one thing at a time. Yeah. So even then, like I've been the last few years, I've been training horses, but I've been on the audible books as well and listening to um, marketing and all this stuff about stuff that <clears throat> I'd never even dreamt of doing. I'm not you know, a bit of a Nazi on it. But I think, man, I need to learn all about this stuff to help our business and how what direction we're going through and 
and the creativity side of things as well. So it's um, it's really helped me out in that in that way. But um, yeah, I think what I love is um, there's some really good dog trailers out there, but there's also some amazing um, bush trainers that just yeah. do their thing, you know, um, and they've got some great tricks that are probably hand or um, methods they use that would be extremely interesting as well, you know, that have been handed down from generation to generation or an old bloke down the road does this and they've used these um, things. But I probably couldn't... <clears throat> Probably couldn't just give a name, but what I'll do is I'll um, I'll have a think and I'll write down about twenty names and I'll give you. All yeah, that's all right. Because like uh, a yeah, I've got a lot of people. It's just that's what I love is hearing all their stories and and tips as well. Mate, you got a real thirst for um, for learning, yeah. I think yeah, I think it's um, I'm never probably content <clears throat> with where I am, you know, and it's. Um, yeah, there's probably a hunger there to get be a better horseman and to be a better, um, yeah, a better dog trainer. You know, it's. Um, I think we can all all keep improving. You know, and all even coming back to the Dolly's dream message, we do a lot of shows and after the shows and a lot of these places and towns, um, parents and brothers and sisters come up and just thank us. You know, for singing the song, getting all the kids out sing the speak up song and talk about bullying in the middle of the show and you know i think it's just um you know they've they've lost their kids or to bullying or to suicide or things like that so i think it's always man i've got to be a better person i've got to be you know raise a better family i've got to keep lifting the bar to show people that what's possible and you know if you really put your mind to it and treat people right and treat your animals you know in a nice safe manner i think I think everyone can um, not just sit in a content area and um, I suppose, yeah, I'm passionate about raising the bar and really trying to forge another path. I don't know where we're going, but I'm trying to pull it <laughs> ahead, you know, and keep on going. Very admirable, mate, and something that a lot of us need to need to do. You know, we don't know it all, right? So, Yeah, yeah. That's no, great. And there's so yeah. many people to, to learn off, so it's awesome. Definitely. Absolutely, mate. Well, we're getting to the pointy end of the night here, mate. Um, was there a particular question asked tonight that stood out for you and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus working dog food? Um, there was one. About, <laughs> was there a question about um, when the, the dogs are at my level on the back of the horses? They yeah, really yeah, builds yep. confidence. That's a really cool thing. I, yeah, and <clears throat> yeah. But looking back, they do definitely want to be, you know, rather than be down there, it's, they want to be up with you. And if you can bring them all along with you, it um, builds up their confidence. So, yeah, for that, for luck. Definitely well done, Dave. Well, send you a message and yeah, get those details to us, mate. So. I'd like to thank all of our members for tuning in tonight and, of course, you, Tom, for jumping on. There was a big time difference between, you know, New South Wales and WA, so we do really appreciate you taking that time. No, that's all um, right. One more question before we go. If you had to choose between fighting 20 horses the size of ducks or one duck the size of a horse, which one would you pick and why? Oh, 
Um, I used to get attacked when I was a kid when the um, geese were nesting. They come <laughs> with their beak and their wings. Break yeah, arms. So if you had a duck the size of a horse and it was coming at you with its mouth and its wings, that could do some. I'd just take the horses and I reckon. You know, you could make into a bit of a show or something out of those 20 horses. So give that a crack. <laughs> Everyone will be turning up to look at them. There you go. It's a new, new part of your show. You've got to bring in some <laughs> wild geese. <laughs> See what happens. Or wild ponies. Yeah. That would be marketing tools for sure. 20 yeah. Shetlands, uh, real cranky ones. <laughs> yeah, I've still got nightmares from ducks. So, yeah. There we go. <laughs> no, awesome, mate. Um, thank you very much for your time tonight, mate. Like Laura said there, much appreciated. And to all um, our viewers and people listening back, we, we appreciate your effort. No, that's thank all right. Thanks for having us on, eh? Tremendous. Keep it's doing been awesome. No, thank you very much, mate. You have a great night. And, um, mate, if we can, everyone out there, please remember, we learn every day. And the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Good night. Thanks, guys. Good on you. Cheers, Zach. Cheers.